never underestimate talent, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of wasted talent out there. I mean, application and focus are way more important in any career, especially in cooking, because you need that focus um, to develop your skills and um, work on your techniques. And you also have to have enough focus to go through the repetition, and that applies all through your cooking career. You're building on those foundations by repeating things all the time. But the only way you can learn all that, you have to have the application to do that, but then you also have to have the focus to build those techniques. This week on Dirty Linen, we talk staffing, training, industry issues, and I am really thrilled to bring into this conversation one of Australia's most celebrated chefs, Peter Doyle. Um, Peter has been an industry leader for decades. Uh, he's run some of Australia's most brilliant restaurants, including most recently Est. And he is now leading Maryvale's Chef Apprenticeship School. Um, yeah, which I'm really keen to learn more about. Peter, welcome to Dirty Linen. Good morning and welcome. Um, great to be here. Great to have you here. Um, so, I mean, let's get to it. Uh, tell me about what you're up to now with Maryvale. Um, well, I retired from Est about two years ago or two and a half years ago now, I guess, and um, the opportunity came up to um, run the apprenticeship school that Maryvale wanted to um, st- be, you know, start up um, so that we could um, have um, a really detailed uh, recruitment process and then them in the way that we want them to do um, so that we can get them skilled nicely. Um, so basically um, now um, we recruit new apprentices and they work in venue just like they would in a normal apprenticeship and instead of going to somewhere like TAFE um, they come to the Maryvale Apprenticeship School and uh, we look after them there each week. So is this um a bit of a slam on the TAFE system and, and the, the official sort of training uh, regimes that we have in Australia? No, not at all. Um, I mean, TAFE does a great job and it's essential and um, the government should uh, actually get behind it a little bit more than they are at present um, because we all need TAFE to exist, but it's just an alternative really. And it also allows us to tailor um, what we think should be involved a little or included in the course a little bit. Um, a little bit extra maybe and we can also um, fast track the apprentices a little bit more so that's the benefit to the employer as well. Okay because yeah I was chatting to a TAFE um, teacher earlier in the week and he said that one of the cocktails that the hospitality Cert 3 um, uh, students learn is Brandy Alexander and he felt that perhaps the curriculum wasn't meeting the needs of the industry. Is, is that something that you're, you find as well? Well, in a way, I mean, we have to have um, – the, the course has to be certified by the government for the Maryvale course, um, so you have to tick all the boxes in, that are needed in the curriculum. And people do forget a little bit that we are teaching the basics of cooking, um, but we can also make it a little bit more exciting and a more, bit more up-to-date. And the Brandy Alexander uh, cocktail is probably a little bit a good an example um, because the great thing about being involved in cooking is and cuisine is that it's always evolving. And if um, it gets stuck, um, well, then it's no benefit to anyone. So what's an example of um, a way that you jazz it up? Well, we just use more contemporary um, recipes in the course, I guess. Um, so um, you can still cover all the basics, but you can make it um, – it doesn't have to be – 
um, minute steak, so to speak, or um, we can embellish the, all those recipes a little bit. And um, because, as I said, it's always evolving, so we put um, you know new techniques in there. Mm. And you, you mentioned that it's fast tracked. Is that because it's a, there's a bit of an emergency to get new blood coming into Maryvale's restaurants? Um, no, it just means that we can um, go through the course a little bit faster by identifying what really needs to be taught. And then um, so that just allows us to fast track it a little bit. It's, it's just a, a maybe six months off the course or a little bit more, but um, that's about all. Okay. And one thing that I found interesting in the press release about it earlier in the week was that after graduation, a three-year commitment is required for ongoing mentorship and experience in the kitchen. What does that mean? Um, well, that may be. I've uh, been out of the loop in the last month because I've been away. So that may have they may have included that in um, the last in for the new intake of uh, recruitment, but that hasn't applied in the past. But it makes sense um, if you're going to um, give these um, new apprentices the opportunity. Um, then maybe you need a little bit of commitment at the end of the course as well. But um, that's as much as I can say on that at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how that works practically and, I mean, yeah, even legally because you can't really bind people to a job in that sense. Um, so, yeah, that's it's an, it's an interesting one. It certainly leapt out at me. Um, well, it's new to me too, so. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll both, we'll both go and ask some questions. Okay. Um, so tell me about the workforce at Maryvale overall. Um What's been the sort of skew in terms of internationals, locals, and what are some of the issues that you that you see in in that in that industry structure? Well, um, the apprenticeships across the board in all trades were dropping off for a few years there, so um, people just weren't up take, taking up apprenticeships. It seemed, and that that was um, in hospitality as well as everything else. So there was this search to go overseas and bring in um, trained um, chefs from overseas, from whether it's Mexico, Dubai, wherever, and that, that, that was filling the, um, the hole in the industry. And now they've all returned home, and so we're in a little bit of um, a fix at the moment. I've just been, I've just, as I said, I've just spent a month in Northern Territory and Broome, and parts of Western Australia, and every single establishment you go into, there's a sign on the front door, staff required, staff required. They just can't find staff. So it's, um, it's getting a little bit dire out there. But it's the same in the cities, isn't it? I mean, it's the same in Melbourne. It's, oh, think- no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's across the board. So it's really important that we're trying to um, get local apprentices into the system as well to fill that hole. I mean, when I've read um, stories about you and, you know, when people you, people that have worked with you speak about you, they speak so glowingly of your approach to training and mentorship, um, the fact that you're sort of really hands-on, you're, you're always, yeah, you, you're, you're a presence, you're not um, someone that just leaves people to get on with it without some close attention. I mean, what what's been your approach to training and mentorship over your long career? Well, I've just, um, I mean, it's such a vast industry and there's so many ways you can approach it, but I was always happy to, um, you can be an entrepreneur, you can be whatever you can, um, but you can't um, be everything and you can't be all things at one time. So I was just really happy to 
I mean, I wanted to be a chef, so I was interested in being in the kitchen and mentoring people and training them up. And, of course, you're training them so for the benefit of the business as well, but it's also you're also watching people develop and um, in their careers and then they go on and um, become really good chefs and once they've left you, you know they've got a really good basic foundation for their career and that was really important to me but that's not how everyone approaches it and that's fine I mean it's up to the individual well I mean is it fine because I think so much of what people find difficult about working in hospitality and staying in it is that is a bit of a a rudderless feeling or sometimes you know I think people get promoted beyond their ability simply because there's a hole that needs to be filled um and I think you know a lot of industry um a lot of people that have been in the industry for a long time lament that uh the the shift away from uh, chef owned restaurants or hands on um, owners in restaurants. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? Um, well, I mean, it's a bit of a situation in that um, I can see that point vividly, obviously. Um, and as I said, I was always um, on the side of training people up and mentoring them, but. It's also up to the individual. Um, I mean, a lot of there is a lot of um, too much fast progression in the in, in the industry, especially in cooking. And people think they know it all after the first six months, but this it's a lifetime skill, and you have to really build a solid foundation. But that's up to the individual as well. If you fa- if you fast track yourself and haven't got that um, foundation, then you'll soon fall over, and that that happens all the time. We used to always get people who have been like sous chef and even head chef of a small restaurant and then come back and start working because they realise they haven't got that foundation to do it. Mm, I mean, do you think that that's something that's you've seen more over the years, that there's been, I guess, less patience that people have got for building up those skills slowly? Well, that's just the way of the world these days, isn't it? I would have thought, yeah. Right. So, so where do you think that leaves um, the industry? Well, it doesn't leave it in a really good place, but then um, it's, I mean... Well, I mean, just going back to the apprentices, um, like we, we, we might recruit 20 apprentices, but um, it doesn't mean they're all super talents at the beginning and it doesn't mean that you haven't got a really um, broad cross-section of individuals in those classes. Um, some are really talented, others are less so. Some are wanting to work really hard, some are less willing to work really hard. So, I mean, that's just life. I mean, there's nothing much you can do about that. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to think about you looking at those 20 apprentices and and appreciating them or, you know, being concerned for all their different qualities. Uh, Would you rather have someone who seems really talented but perhaps doesn't want to work or someone that um, is perhaps, you know, doesn't really have the skills or doesn't really seem to get it quite quite straight away but um, really wants to put the work in? No, 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 no. You have to. I mean, talent will get you. I mean, you can't replace talent, obviously. I mean, um, never underestimate talent. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of wasted talent out there. I mean, application and focus are way more important in any career, especially in cooking, because you need that focus um, to develop your skills and um, work on your techniques and you also have to have enough focus to go through the repetition. I mean, when, when we start the, at the very beginning of the course, they may know, have no knife skills. And the only way you can develop that is through repetition. And that applies all through your cooking career. You're building on those foundations by repeti- repeating things all the time. 
But the only way you can learn all that, you have to have the application to do that, but then you also have to have the focus to build those techniques. Mm. Can you remember um, some real, really satisfying light bulb moments that you've you've witnessed in your students, whether it's, you know, that they're cutting something or it's whether it's doing a sauce or it's presenting a dish is, is um, yeah, can you remember any of those great moments? No, it happens all the time, um, just in the class. Like every, every fifth week um, we do an assessment where they um, have to do a little exam for want of a better word or we pick out dishes that they've done in the previous four weeks and they have to do those dishes by themselves. And you think um, sometimes that um, people have, you know, one, one individual may, okay, you know he's going to be able to do it or she's going to be able to do it, and you underestimate the ability of someone else and they might bloom in the moment, um, and then you realise, well, they have been paying more attention maybe, and it also goes the other way as well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be so interesting. What's a dish that you reckon really allows people to show where they're at? Oh, well, I mean... There's no such dish, really. I mean, it's all a building throughout. Like we start at the very beginning, and um, when they, you, you have to accept that they don't know anything, and they may not have held a knife before, and they don't. Not, they're interested in cooking because they've decided they want to do it, but they don't really know what's involved. And then you, you just watch them build as they go, and then the more. I mean, the satisfying part is that you watch them develop, basically. And um, so you're building on their skills by you're trying to show them new skills each week. And we go, you know, so what can I say? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what place do you think creativity has in that learning process? Like, is it something that you ask people to sort of hold back on? No, just wait till you've got the basics? Or do you feel like there's, it's possible to thread creativity through uh, all those, that, those sort of building block moments? No, you're definitely trying to um, get them to start thinking about um, the creative side of cooking. So most of the dishes, um, I don't really present the dishes as such. I let them present I give them some hints maybe um, and then maybe I'll go over it after, well, I would have done it this way or whatever. But you, you're trying to get them to express themselves and it doesn't always work and you you wonder how sometimes they came up with that um, <laughs> particular <laughs> creation. But anyway, um, but, so you t but at the same time, you're trying to develop their skills and um, – their visual skills of what goes, why things happen, or and you're also I'm also encouraging them all the time: read books, look at photos, go online. There's ample, ample examples out there. You should be trying to develop your idea of what the how you want to form dishes. Mm, I mean, that would be so different to how it was when you were training and learning and coming up in the industry, just in terms of the amount of input you can have um you know there's just so many ideas flying around these days isn't there no no absolutely and yeah well i, I mean I, in a way i feel really um fortunate that i did my apprenticeship um basically the first three years of it in the dark ages where nothing had happened for about 40 years in cooking like it was all oysters kilpatrick prawn cocktail and it'd been like that for 30 or 40 years in australia and then Nouvelle Cuisine um, sort of era came in and towards the end of my apprenticeship there was a whole new explosion. So I've seen both sides and the new side's way better and now the, the things chefs are doing these days uh, blows your mind. Did it feel like you were 
in a moment when that was happening around you or was it just you, you did you were you I mean were you able to have that perspective on it at the time or was, is it only looking back that you could see how exciting it was to be part of that change no I was definitely like I, w- I was open to it so I was ready for it and um, all of a sudden there was there were more food articles and wine articles and there was it wasn't on TV yet as such but it was all in the new, you know the gourmet magazines and the Vogue entertainings and all the overseas magazines and so it was all there you just had to pick it up and run with it and then um, as soon as I finished my apprenticeship basically I went overseas and then it was all there and traveled around France and you go that gives you a whole perspective on your career and um, forms a lot of basics that you follow so was there a dish or a restaurant or a, a, a piece of produce that you could say was a real turning point for you? Um, yeah, well, when we went to France, we went to Michel Garrard's uh, Eugénie Le Ben three-star restaurant down in the southwest of France. And um, on the way over to France, we went through Asia and uh, I was surfing and things like that. So, But uh, Cuisine Gourmand had just come out and um, that was his book. And the photos were like, it was like something from the moon. It was so far removed from what had been around before that. And then we went to the restaurant and it was exactly like the book. And I thought, this is unbelievable. (laughs) Wow. What what year was that, Peter? 1978. Wow. And what was it about it that just blew your mind? Um, Well, just the place and the service and the decor. But the food was just unbelievable. Yeah, it was... Well, I mean, it was just a whole new era and explained it all like visually and texturally and uh, taste-wise. Um, it was just, yeah, as I said, it was almost from another planet. So that was a real mind-blowing opening. And then we went around France to a lot of the other restaurants and some were better than others, but there were others that were fantastic as well. And as a chef, you have these, I mean, it's really important that you um, um, have these uh, light bulb moments uh, throughout your career and then you sort of have benchmark meals that come up every five or ten years and you go, wow, this is a whole new direction. So it keeps evolving and it's great. That's what makes it interesting. Can you tell us about your first restaurant and, and what you sort of threw into that with those that experience that you'd had? Well, yes, um, we started in um, a little restaurant in um, – the Castle Ray Hotel, and we just did lunch for 25 people every day. So we did that for a couple of years, and then we moved to Palm Beach Reflections, and that was where um, the whole that whole era um, developed really, um, because people it, was, it also like people were willing to travel. We used to um, be open uh, on the weekend. You'd have just as many people from the eastern suburbs because the idea in those days was you got in your car and you went to Barara Waters or you went up to the Blue Mountains to Glenella or you came up to Palm Beach to Reflections and all that type of thing. So, um, and we just put all those things into practice, I guess. Uh, hopefully, and some of it worked. <laughs> <laughs> It's. I mean, it's so interesting if you look back at that time um, as an owner operator pretty green and obviously very inspired and you look at the the massive Merrydale Maryvale machine now I mean it's so it's so different I mean what do you think are the pros and cons of looking at owner operated venues and these big groups um yeah well from going back to uh, reflection say um you've spent your whole career um trying to be creative and learning how to cook and do all those type of things and you know how to do all those type of things but unless you're naturally a businessman um you spend too much time constant working in the business and not on the business so um 
you need that balance of business and um, working in the business as well as on the business. So to make it a success, otherwise you're not there if you can't pay your bills. So the big, the good thing about um, Maryvale or bigger groups is that you have all that backup as well to um, aid your creative side. So you have to run the restaurant, but they also emphasise you have to run the business. So from that point of view, um, that's one plus. And also there's, I mean, coming into the, um, taking the apprentices who are coming into Maryvale, um, you've got so much opportunity for so many different restaurants to work in. Um, so you can progress your career um, all in the one company through all the different restaurants if you wish to do that. Or you can just, you know, have a solid foundation in one style of cuisine. It's up to you. Yeah, I mean, I can... <laughs> I, I really can see the benefits for the people working in a big business like Maryvale. And I mean, I've had some great times in Maryvale restaurants. And I suppose one of the things that I appreciate is how different the restaurants can be one from another. Um, but I also have just such mixed feelings about it and about whether, uh, whether the big groups crowd the market out for, um, those owner operators who, um, want to do something much smaller and, uh, just have a vision for their, their community. Um, and of course, Maryvale is now coming to my hometown of Melbourne. Um, and I'm really interested to see what happens, but I also feel a little bit protective. Um, uh, yeah. Can you, can you counsel me through all my feelings about this, Peter? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I mean, well, um, there are there, there's restaurant groups and restaurant groups. Obviously, there's restaurant groups that um, I don't know. Uh, okay, how am I going to phrase this? I think Maryvale does a really good job of, as you say, having different restaurants and providing opportunity for employees, um, and the product. Um, that they produce is really, I mean, and the decor and the effort they put into every restaurant and trying to create a culture across that group. Like I, from, from my point of view, I was really impressed that um, the way the company has expanded, um, the foundation of that company, the way it's improved over my time being with them, and now they know exactly what they're doing and they're trying to do their best um, to create that good work culture as well as everything else, as well as providing opportunity and things like that. There's still, I mean, you don't have to go and work with a big group and I don't think they crowd out um, the restaurant industry as such um, or the marketplace because um, there's equal opportunity for everybody really. You just have to um, take the plunge. And uh, why you'd do that, I'm not sure. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it's those economies of scale that people talk about when, when there's a group. You know, you can have the back office can be a bit consolidated. Um, and as you say, it, it frees people up, uh, you know, it frees the chefs up to be chefs because they're not worrying about HR or whatever it is, you know, at least not to the same degree that they need to if, if the buck no. totally stops with them. Well, it's not 24-7. Um, so I suppose when you've got, when you're able to economize on a business at one level, then it, it, it means, I mean, it's not like it's, it's not like it's not a level playing field because everybody can still, I suppose, do what they want, but it just means that one restaurant is able to economize in an area that another restaurant isn't able to. Um, yeah. Doesn't mean it's not fair. I guess it just means it's capitalism, but um, I don't know. It's, should I be worried about Maryvale coming to Melbourne or should I be excited? <laughs> you should be excited, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, it's, it's just that, I mean, you, you have, like Andrew McConnell and uh, groups like that down there, they all have, they're doing a very similar thing. So, um, I mean, and they're all great restaurants and they're uh, different. There's a variety within that group across the restaurants. And um, so I don't think um, one more little restaurant or one, you know, I, I don't think that's going to make that much of a difference. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, you've soothed me. Thank you. I might just, I might, I might just um, offer a, um, you know, a broader you know, a, um, yeah, another alternative rather than everything down there. I mean, you've got, I mean, yeah, it's it's not going to impinge. Uh, Maryvale arriving in um, Melbourne is not going to impinge on, um, you know, um, Bray Restaurant or anything like that because that's just an iconic restaurant, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're doing their thing and no one can replicate that and that'll always be the case. So there's always those type of restaurants that are doing a really professional job and will exist and uh, their inspiration to the industry. So Maryvale's not going to encroach on that type of thing in any way. So just accept that um, there's an, there are an alternative arriving maybe. So if I was a young restaurateur and I really wanted to, I felt like I really had a vision and I wanted to open my own place, what advice would you give me as I start out from, from your vast experience? Um, well, getting back to what I said before, I mean, make sure you um, have an understanding of the business side of the of the hospitality restaurant um, and all that involves, because that's a really important part as well. So, if you're if you've got the energy and the focus, and you've developed your foundation and you're ready to go, I mean, we always operated on the fact that uh, we went in with blind faith, and it got us a long way. <laughs> <laughs> But having that business foundation is probably a great idea as well. So just go into that. Get a lot of advice. Uh, speak to people. Um, but also get, yeah, also get a bit of financial advice as well. Yeah, that's very good advice. And because yeah. the, tr- the, trouble, the trouble with the restaurant industry is it's easy to forget that it's, um, a very, it can be a very overcapitalized restaurant and it's hard to make money out of it. Um, because you can, I mean, you've got to repay that loan. It's easy to get the loan maybe, but then you have to pay it off. And the percentage at the end of the day is pretty small. So you've got to uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, I think one of perhaps one of the opportunities out of COVID is that people are able to start businesses a bit more on a shoestring. Perhaps there are some, you know, fit outs that restaurants, restaurants have closed. There might be a good... Um, fit out that someone can come into and perhaps there is a little bit more of a, um, yeah, just people feel a little bit more freedom that everything's up for grabs at the moment. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that would be one piece of advice <clears throat> I also give to uh, if you want to open your own restaurant, don't go big, go small and then learn the basics and that will give you, it's a bit like learning how to cook, like you're learning how to run the business as well. And if you start small, then you've got to do, you've got to do everything in the business um, and but then it's um, there's a lot you know it gives you time to learn that as well rather than going in over your head. And what about menu creation? What, you know, if I'm a chef. I've, I'm going to do my first menu in my first restaurant. What kind of tips could you give people about you know how to craft that menu? Um, you can't be all things to all people or all customers. You just have to um, do what you believe is right, um, really. And if you're opening your own business, then you've got faith in yourself or you should have faith in yourself that you, you've found a niche in the market that you think is an opening and you're backing your own confidence and just have a look around, make sure you analyse it, come up with a business plan and um, make sure the menu fits the establishment and just run with it. 
Yeah, look, oh my goodness, I have to say as a restaurant critic, that really resonates with me because one of the things I think my first question when I go into a restaurant is who are, the, you know, what are they trying to do? Who are they trying to be? Do they, do they know who they are? And it is so satisfying to get that feeling that someone, they really have that through line. They've got a sense of what they want to express and they're just going for it. And I think even if it doesn't come off completely if you feel that that intention it really goes a long way oh no absolutely and it's i mean vice versa there's nothing more frustrating from um, a professional point of view of going to a place and seeing how badly it's run either because (laughs) that can be very frustrating at times too because you think well you know really (laughs) anyway yeah well absolutely i mean i think it's like we have to look for the the diversity in the spread of restaurants. You don't want a restaurant that's trying to cover all bases because, yeah, it just really dilutes the vision or you get the sense that there is no vision. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, Peter, what? give us a bit of an overview of hospitality has obviously gone through an incredibly difficult period over the last 18 months and we're definitely, we're not through it yet, but what's your overview of where the industry's at? What do we have to be optimistic about and what should we be concerned about? Well, um, obviously Australia's been um, a lot better off or than a lot of other countries around the world. So we, we haven't sort of, um, we weren't closed down for that long. If you think of Europe, like they're just coming back now after being closed for six months here, there and everywhere or, you know, over the last few years, last year and a half or so when it's been diabolical. So, I think um, we're doing okay. I mean, just have to be optimistic um, and cover all the bases and start finding some staff from somewhere, basically, I guess, to um, create to supply the demand um, because the demand's still out there. I mean, it's yeah. Everyone was a little bit um, a little bit guilty of um, you get used to being at home and you sort of start forgetting that you can actually go out to restaurants. But I think we've gone through that phase now and everyone's starting to um, kick back in. Yeah, well, I guess Maryvale's certainly doing its bit to invest in 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 that training and to shore up its staff for the many restaurants that it seems to want to keep opening. Um, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> it is hard to keep up. Um, I think it is about it. it it's got to be about getting people to want to come into the industry in the first place as well, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And there's always, I mean, a proportion of the staff is always going to be, of the staff requirements always going to be covered by <clears throat> the same parts of the industry that have been covered by, you know, university workers, blah, 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 all that kind of thing as well, as well as career hospitality people. So that they're essential to um, have on board as well. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, it's like we've got a, I spoke to one um, pub owner recently and she was, she's like, I'm I'm at the orthodontist asking for staff. I'm at the yacht club scooping up, you know, teenage teenagers to come and work for me so that I can train up. It's like, I guess people have got to get creative, but it's also, you know, school kids have got to look at hospitality and think, yep, that's where I want to go. It's got to, it's got to be a career that people can feel like they can choose proudly and, and it feels like a viable um, career path forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to add to that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, well, hopefully we'll have enough staff in enough restaurants so that we can all enjoy them. Um, it's been wonderful to get your perspective today, Peter. Really appreciate your time and, yeah, the um, wisdom of vast experience. Uh, thanks so much for coming along to have a chat today to Dirty Linen.
That's okay. Not sure I'm sure about the wisdom part, but anyway, thanks for having me. <laughs> Definitely, it's there. All right, really All right. appreciate it. Take okay. care. Bye. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.